Welcome to the Highly Objective Podcast, where we talk to cannabis industry executives and investors and go into the weeds on recent news. Hey, Eric, thanks for joining us today. Can you go ahead and give us a quick background on yourself and your company? Well, really appreciate you having me on today, Day. This is uh, definitely um, one of the more informative podcasts, like honestly, that's out there. And then the newsletter recap that you do is is great. I forward it to our team every single uh, every single time you put out uh, content. So really appreciate it and, and honored to be on here. Um, just quick background on Alfred, but we're a, a full service commercial insurance brokerage that focuses exclusively in the cannabis, hemp, uh, CBD, and, and holistic wellness space. And then truthfully, we've been working uh, in the cannabis space since 2012 when Colorado went recreational um, and, and started early stage when I was actually at another brokerage called Founder Shield. And Founder Shield focused on emerging industries, emerging technologies, and building out insurance programs, particularly for the venture-backed community um, and, and early-stage startups. And then as we started to get more traction and more clients on the books in the cannabis space, we really started to see you know, the, the maturation of the industry and the, the nuances of it, right? You know, from the licensing, the legalization, um, as well as just like how these organizations are structured a lot of times makes it very challenging, um, as well as the insurance companies that will write this class of business. So for all of those reasons, we really felt it was important to focus exclusively in this space, start to build relationships, not only with the cannabis community and operators at large, but also with our carrier partners that will be the ultimate ones with the risk on their balance sheet, right? So we, we act as a conduit um, in representing the operators, ancillary businesses, really whoever touches the, the cannabis space, the CBD space, um, and representing them to our carrier partners, right? And the better we know about the industry and our clients' businesses, the better we're able to articulate the risk to our carrier partners. Um, and so then we we built out the Alpha brand in, in 2016. And at that time, it was really like toggling between emails of Founder Shield and Alpha Root of a cannabis, you know, opportunity came through. It was, uh, oh, we're, we're Alpha Root, right? It was really just a brand. And, and like I said, we really took a step back and said, if we're going to have any traction and really be able to help these businesses, we have to exclusively focus on it. Um, and so that's what, you know, myself um, and Isaac Bach, uh, two co-founders of the organization, um, and we've been working with cannabis businesses exclusively since about 2019. Um, and then fast forward to 2021, we were actually acquired by Baldwin Risk Partners, um, which is a, a NASDAQ listed publicly traded brokerage. And at that time, we were thinking like, hey, do we want to raise capital to, you know, fuel the organization and, and fuel growth, be able to hire more, um, be able to build out more products for the industry, or does an acquisition make sense? Um, and so we we looked at that pretty thoroughly and the acquisition was just a better opportunity for us because it provided a lot more infrastructure and additional resources that we didn't have previously. So like things like health and benefits, having access to an international team, um, having access to the BRP portfolio um, as well. And so it, it's been a great natural fit. We're, we're kind of the 
the cannabis experts uh, within the organization. Um, and, and we're super excited for that partnership moving forward. And, you know, from a product standpoint and what we focus on, it's your classic insurance products, right? So like general liability, product liability, property insurance, workers' compensation, right? But whenever you throw a, a cannabis spin on it, it just limits the scope of markets and and really invokes the expertise um, into the cannabis industry. And um, and that's what we're doing on a daily basis right now. Great. And, and how big was Alpha Rude as a part of Founder Shield? So as a part of Founder Shield, we were about 10% of the overall book of business. Um, and it, it's it's grown substantially since probably looking at more, you know, 20% of, uh, of the entire emerging risk business. What are some of the popular product offerings that cannabis companies come to you guys for? Yeah, I think it's, you know, whether you're cultivation, manufacturer, delivery, retail, a lot of the products are the same, right? But the application and, and the just exposure is very different, right? So for things like premises, general liability for slip and falls, you know, that's going to be a little bit more nuanced for a retailer, right? That's having a lot of heavy foot traffic versus a retailer is not going to have a ton of product liability exposure, um, but they are the end, the end vehicle that's distributing products, right? But most of the product liability and, and where it becomes a little bit more challenging is on the manufacturer cultivation side. So I would say most of our clients, regardless of where they're at in the, the distribution channel are purchasing similar products, but the application is slightly different, you know, for delivery companies or distribution, a lot of times they're going to purchase commercial auto insurance if they own the vehicles or what's called hired and non-owned auto. If the company is either renting vehicles or the organization is using employee owned vehicles for business purposes. So really what we try to do today is not look at one business and, and really like group them all together. We feel that every single operator is unique in its own way from a location standpoint, obviously the state that they operate in, what the regulatory framework is, um, because certain states have a little bit wonky uh, insurance regulations. So we really try to take a very calibrated approach for each business. Um, and also a dispensary that's doing $35 million at one location is going to have different needs than maybe a dispensary that's doing $3 million. Right. And so for those reasons, we, we take a really customized approach and, and try to build a, an insurance program that fits for that specific operator. And, and what about insurance for sort of crime, you know, a lot of these dispensaries, as, as you mentioned up, um, you know, in certain locations, there there could be break-ins and, you know, it's a cash business. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars, potentially millions in, in cash and products. Um, is that popular? And, and how does that get insured? And what kind of rates help, help us understand? Like, you know, if I'm a retailer doing $10 million in revenue, like how much am I paying, you know, wh whoever you guys um farm it out to for insurance and what does coverage look like? If you insure the inventory, the cash, right? That's going to, and there is a break-in from, you know, a third party that's going to fall under property coverage. And it's important to make sure that when you are purchasing property insurance, that it does cover finished stock cash and all of those values are scheduled accordingly. A lot of carriers will have certain limitations for the amount of cash 
that they will insure. So if you have millions and millions of dollars, um, I'm not sure that that will be able to be fully insured, but definitely up to a certain level, typically like a sublimit of, you know, hundred to $250,000 in, in cash securities um, and inventory and stock. There's, there's not like a, I would say a hard limit on that. Um, and something that's really important as well is all of these policies, depending on the carrier that you place the business with, you know, CanGen, QuadScore, um, Canisher, Golden Bear, right? All of these different carriers that will offer property insurance and then, you know, inherently offer theft coverage, they'll have what's called safeguards. Um, and why that's important is in order to have property coverage triggered, you have to adhere to those safeguards. So it's things like certain safe specifications. It's like, how are you storing your property, right? All of those different things factor into it. Um, and the reason I bring that up is like, we had a client one time that, you know, made it abundantly clear that, you know, in order to get theft coverage, you have to be storing and taking the goods that are out on display, putting them into the safe at night. Unfortunately, you know, they did not do so um, and had a claim and only a portion of that was able to be covered because all of the, the finished goods were, were left out, um, you know, on display and not put back into the safe. Right. And, and at the end of the day, really what it comes down to is education and transparency and making sure that when we are providing insurance, we're, we're telling our clients, Hey, this is where coverage will be triggered. This is where it, it won't. Um, and it's just important to make sure that we are giving them the tools to understand, okay, what other sorts of risk management do I need to employ outside of insurance, right? To make sure that, okay, if coverage isn't going to react here, how am I mitigating that risk as much as possible? Um, and then the other type of crime is it's actually under a commercial crime policy, which would be for first party theft. So if you have an employee, um, a member of the organization that actually steals cash, stock, or, you know, wires themselves um, a certain sum of money, that's going to be covered under a commercial crime policy rather than a property policy. So property is for third party theft, meaning somebody outside the organization. And crime is for first party theft, meaning that's somebody within the organization. So it's just important to delineate those two coverages um, because they are different products and they do react differently depending on the claim. And then finally, to your point about, you know, overall premium spend, right? It's uh, it's the age old, it depends um, because it, it's not only the revenue of the business, but how much stock do they have on hand? You know, what's the square footage of the location? Where are they located? What's the crime score in the, the vicinity? You know, someone that's maybe, you know, has a dispensary in Oakland versus in the middle of nowhere, um, you know, Missouri, might have just a different crime score rating, which inherently, you know, factors into the overall premium. Um, but what I would say is from a cost perspective, you know, someone that's doing 10 million in revenue, you're probably looking at, you know, around, you know, 30 to hundred K in premium. Um, it could fluctuate quite a bit, you know, has that company raised capital, right? Do they need directors and officers insurance? Do they have over 10 employees? Do they have to think about 
employment practices liability insurance, which basically covers, you know, what we call like HR insurance for like wrongful termination, uh, racial discrimination. So it, it really depends on the the scope of operations, not only just based off of revenue, but I hope that's, you know, a, a relatively good sized ballpark. Um, and what's exciting is more and more companies are coming into this space. Um, there's a few carriers that have built out small business products, which are great for for operators that are just getting off the ground so that they don't have to have that, you know, 30K expenditure in year one. Uh, um, and then there's, there's a lot of products for middle market and enterprise level businesses, right? Um, and it also comes down to how many locations do they have? Do they have just one dispensary doing 10 million or do they have four different locations? Um, and so those are all the, the things that we're constantly looking at and making sure that we're contemplating the full scope of the, the operator's exposure. Um, so I hope that was helpful just to give you a, a broad sense of, of pricing, but there are a lot of different factors that kind of play into each person's specific needs. You know, that, that's great. And I appreciate you kind of mentioning that the safeguards that some of the carriers have to make sure they don't pay out a policy if, if the yeah. you know, customer is not adhering to that. So another question I had for you that's been top of mind for me is, so given what's going on with Missouri and, and you know, there's Delta extraction that's been at the center of all these recalls because they've used synthetic hemp. So in theory, some of the, you know, some of their customers have insurance policies how might they or might they not be covered through insurance? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. So there is a, a policy called product recall, um, which is, uh, you know, a, a very established product for for a lot of like CPG companies, um, and you can get a standalone product recall policy, meaning that, you know, in the and that would cover voluntary and involuntary recalls. Um, but what we try to do for a lot of our clients is you can get an added sublimit for product withdrawal expense as long as it's a government mandated withdrawal. So we can typically get that added on to a general liability product liability program for, for very inexpensive, like a few hundred dollars to have that sublimit added. Or if a company is really robust and they want their own standalone product recall policy, we can definitely do that. I would say product recall is more applicable for like manufacturers, cultivation, um, but that product withdrawal expense could be a great way for companies to mitigate that exposure, not have to buy a full separate policy and can have that added as like what's called the sublimit um, onto a, an existing general liability or product liability policy. So given that the state was the one that issued the recall, anyone who had product insurance coverage would have gotten paid out. Should it turn out that way? It it depends on obviously, you know, it's uh it depends on the intent of the policy. But if they do have that product withdrawal expense and it is government mandated, we would definitely look to um, you know, file a claim depending on you know, what the size and scope was, right? Because we always have to factor in, well, what's the deductible on the policy? What is the the out-of-pocket expense for that operator? Does it make sense to file a claim? Um, but yes, we would, we would look to um, extract value from the policy um, in that instance. Got it. And another one that's interesting to me is the crop insurance portion of it. Um, so yeah. if, if you're insuring a, a cultivator and 
you know, they have a bad harvest for whatever reason, pesticides, uh, you know, aspergillus, whatever, what's typically covered, not covered. And, you know, how, how much, give me a range using that same example. If you're doing 10 million in wholesale flour value, like how much is that policy costing? There's, there's a lot of different facts. As you can see, there's a, there's a, a common denominator of it depends. And there are a lot of different factors. And the reasoning is, is like outdoor, grows specifically are pretty much i wouldn't say impossible to get covered there are certain things like a parametric where you can get coverage for like frost or you can get coverage for um specific events that would trigger the policy but traditional crop insurance very seldom is like a separate policy in and of itself typically it's a scheduled limit on a property policy so there's different types of, of crop, right? Because, and the way that we extract, like what's the value of everything is we um, take the amount of plants in each stage. So, you know, where it's at the, the nursery or mother plants and like the, the further down, you know, and closer you are to harvest, the greater the value is of that one specific plant. So typically what we'll collect is like, okay, how many plants do you have roughly in each stage? And then that's multiplied by um, an industry standard like base rate. And then that's how we would get the actual value of the total crop. But again, that's particularly for um, indoor grow and it can be for greenhouse. It just depends on the, the structure. The operators with a little bit more um, indoor state-of-the-art facilities typically don't have any issues. For things like that, you would say are, are more business risks, right? So pesticides, you know, aspergillus aren't typically going to be covered under a crop policy um, or like poor harvest because it's really challenging for insurance companies to understand. We're able to get crop coverage for things like fire, water damage, more traditional perils. Unfortunately, there's not really a product in existence that, you know, for bacteria, um, aspergillus, pesticides, those sort of things. Like a lot of times there are going to be exclusions on policies. And I think it's just really important to take a look at the fine details and not just like, oh, property coverage, we have a million dollar limit. Okay, well, well, what is covered under that and what's not, right? And I think a lot of it, like I said, again, goes back to education and transparency and making sure that our clients understand what is and what's not covered so that they can properly mitigate the other exposures with other forms of risk management. Let's talk a bit more about the insurance ecosystem. So folks come to you, um, how do they even learn about Alpharoot or other brokers that you compete with? So let, let's just talk about that and then you know talk about the competition after. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with, with brand awareness, expertise. Um, you know, our, our clients a lot of times are our biggest champions and, and we're very fortunate for that. And I think the cannabis community, you know, from what I've seen in working in other industries is very much word of mouth, you know, reaching out to trusted resources and saying like, hey, you know, who do you use for insurance, right? I think a lot of that has to do with it. It comes with you know, our interaction with the cannabis community and our contributions outside of just, you know, placing insurance policies. For us, honestly, like we've been doing it for quite some time. I think a lot of times that's the the easiest part for us. It really is just getting the foot in the door, um, which is no, is no different than 
any business or any industry, right? Um, but that's why we try to be very present at conferences. We host events at our office space. Um, you know, we just did one last um, in August with uh, the Women's Card Committee. Um, we're doing another event with the Card Coalition in August. We are sorry, in October, we've done a lot of events with Trailblazers and other um, and other associations within the cannabis space, um, which I think is is our way of, of giving back to the community in a lot of different ways and, and providing a platform where people can network and make connections. It's uh, it's something that we really take pride in. And, you know, we've been doubling down a lot of, you know, on our SEO and, and our search, right? And and content creation, I think is is super important. You know, we, we launched a podcast as well, just to highlight great operators and, and people in the space. Um, it's not as good as is highly objective, but we're, we're trying. And, um, you know, I think all of those things factor into like how people hear about us. And would you say you guys are, are probably the, the biggest when it comes to canvas insurance brokerage or how would you kind of rank where you stack versus the competition? Yeah, I, I don't know if we're the biggest. Um, I would say we, we have a really wide variety of clients. Um from a numbers perspective, from a pure revenue and premium perspective, I'm not sure, but we work with early stage operators that are maybe just getting off the ground or all the way to, you know, some of the larger multi-state operators that are public in Canada operating in the U.S. and and really everything in between. I would say we're probably, you know, a, a top 10 brokerage in the space, Um but obviously without data of other brokerages and what their revenues are, it's kind of difficult to say. We were recently nominated for, for an MJ, um, which is uh, in tandem through MJ BizCon. And we were one of six brokerages elected uh, for and nominated for insurance or cannabis business insurance of the year. So I, I think that, you know, kind of speaks to where we fall as well. But I would say, you know, that's my my best guess without seeing, you know, the, the actual revenue numbers. Yeah, you guys are certainly recognizable. I mean, you guys are at all the events, um, you know, Benzinga, MJ Biz, Trailblazers. So certainly from a branding standpoint and community standpoint, totally agree. You guys have done a great job. Um, so on that point, I'm going to put you on the spot and, and kind of ask you, um, you know, what have been some of the more meaningful events in the space? You know, there's a lot of events. I know budgets are going down. People have to prioritize where they spend their money, where they attend. So for your purposes, what's been kind of the best ROI? You can give me a couple of the conferences or events. Yeah, I think for us, it's it's really been uh, two main events. Um, Benzinga and Trailblazers are, are definitely the, the biggest investments that we have from a conference perspective. I think Benzinga does an unbelievable job of attracting really high caliber people in the room. Um the, the challenge has been a little bit with Benzinga. We'll see with Benzinga Chicago coming up, but it's it's a lot of the same faces in Miami and Chicago. So maybe we'll we'll just go to, to one of those moving forward. But I do think that there is tremendous value. And the Benzinga team too is just great. Our, our point of contact there, Nate, um, he's always willing to work with us and try to strategize a package that makes sense for us financially and, and also makes sense for Benzinga. I think they do a really, really great job in, in working with sponsors where some of the other events, we, we haven't felt um, as much commitment from their side um, and, and love for us and, and building truthfully like 
a long lasting partnership. That's not, Hey, just sponsor this event and, and it's transactional. Um, and I would say similar to on the trailblazer side, you know, for us, uh, Tyler Walkstein, who's, you know, one of the co-founders of trailblazers is also a strategic advisor of alpha root. Um, and we've had a tremendous relationship with, with Tyler. I think trailblazers is a little different. It's more, um, of a retreat, very intimate. So I think it's great for really crafting quality introductions. I think sometimes we go to these events day, you know, it's it's like shaking hands. Hey, I'm Eric Schneider from Alfred. Can I help you with insurance? Oh, I'll follow up, right? But at the end of the day, really like what is the value of that interaction versus maybe having, you know, 20 really quality conversations, which, you know, have, have yielded better results than, you know, just, just more transactional. So I would say those two events. And and like I said, we try to do a lot of our events um, at our office in, in New York. We're really lucky with a, a great space. And we tried to share that with the community. Um, and I think we're going to be doing more and more events as, you know, bigger events start to come to, to New York. So we did like a happy hour event, you know, in tandem with MJ Unpacked, but maybe we're not going to sponsor MJ Unpacked, right? So we're, we're always looking at and refining, you know, year over year, what's yielded, you know, really quality results for us. Um, and also just changed our approach a little bit, right? Because as we grow, it's, it's about going to these events, going to MJ biz, not actually going into the event. Right. But, but having meetings outside of it and that there's a, a space where everybody says, Hey, I'm going to go here for this one weekend and being able to schedule those meetings is, is really powerful as well. So I would say MJ biz is great because typically everybody is there. Um, you could, you could schedule really quality, um, meetings. Also a lot of carriers on the insurance side will go to MJ biz because for them, that's like the big one that everybody knows about. Um, but Benzinga and trailblazers have been, have been great for us as well. Yeah. So it sounds like no plans to be at MJ impacted Detroit. Um, there is, I think, business of cannabis coming up in New York in, in November. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on, on kind of those two? It sounds like maybe, you know, not your top two, obviously. Yeah, I think MJ Impact Detroit, we, we may skip um, or like maybe, you know, send one individual. I think like with the challenge with MJ Impact is like, if you're not, you know, sponsoring for five to 10 grand, you know, they don't let you buy a ticket as an ancillary provider. Um but business of cannabis, like I'm local in New York, so I'm I may like go and pop in, right? But I don't think we're gonna, you know, invest um substantially into into those two events. Got it. And let's talk a bit more about, you know, two questions I, I wanted to ask you that we didn't get to. So uh talk a bit more about the carriers you work with. You know, so you guys are are a brokerage. So where do you typically send your business? Maybe tell me about your kind of top three, top five carriers. And then what is that business model? So, you know, they insure the customer and you guys have a take rate on top of that. So what's typically the, the take rate or how does that work for you guys, Alpha Root, to generate revenue? Yeah, absolutely. So um, obviously the carriers and the carrier relationships that we have are, are, you know, are our secret sauce. But, you know, some of the ones that are involved in the space have been, you know, for for quite some time, it's, you know, CanGen, QuadScore, um, can assure, you know, amongst others, we also have like relationships with a lot of wholesalers. So the, the, the way that the cannabis market or sorry, insurance market works is like you have a retail broker 
which is Alpha Root, we work directly with the client that is looking to purchase insurance. Um, and then typically a lot, because there's so many retail brokers, like outside of Alpha Root, just across the country, compared to the amount of insurance companies, insurance companies don't always want direct appointments with all retailers, right? We're lucky because we, we specialize in the cannabis space and we send a lot of submissions. So because we have those relationships on the carrier side, we can get direct appointments, which means that client comes to us, we send an application directly to an insurance company, less mouths to feed. Um, it's just inherently a smoother process for the end purchaser, right? Which is the, the cannabis operator. Other times, if there's certain insurance companies that don't allow direct access, we have to use a wholesale brokerage. So there's a lot of different wholesale brokerages. You may see like RT Specialty, CRC, um, Amwins, right? There's a lot of these like wholesale brokerages that act as an intermediary between the retail broker being Alpha Root and the end insurance company. Um, and unfortunately, that's just the the nature of the insurance industry. It's it's pretty archaic still, um, which I'm sure you're not very surprised by. Um, it's it's one of the the oldest um, oldest industries. But what's great is insurance companies are dictated by state and local legislation, right? So that's why insurance companies can write in the cannabis space, although it's federally illegal, um, is because depending on the state, they can write. Um, in in either medical or recreational states. Um, and then in terms of our compensation, to your point, we, we need to, to make some money on the, the transaction and it is a designated percentage um, depending on the carrier relationship, right? So if we go direct to a specific insurance company, it could be, you know, 15%, it could be 10%, it could be 7%. Um, it really depends on the product and the relationship that we have, if we have to use a wholesaler, um, but I would say like seven to 15% is, is typically common uh, compensation for a retail broker. Some can take higher, um, but it, it really just depends. But I would say like, that's where we, we typically fall. And how's that work with renewal? So from my understanding, I think it's typically like a annual policy. So if a customer comes back, for a policy with the the same carrier, are, are you still getting paid that seven to fifteen percent, or do they come to Alpha Root and say, "Hey, let's make sure we're still getting the best rates from these folks," and, and they just go through you? Yeah, I would say it's it's similar commission structure. Some carriers will like reduce the commission on renewals, um, and just give like larger for new business. It like I said, it really depends on the different carrier and what their specific um, rules around that are. But what we do every year is um, we take that same application and we remarket it, right? Because we understand that the landscape is constantly changing. You know, who was really competitive last year may not be as competitive for our client this year. Our client may have grown substantially, right? And they may have different evolving needs. So we typically remarket year over year. However, we will give the current carrier what's called last look. So, you know, what we try to do, and that's the benefit of working with a broker like us, sometimes there's this misnomer that I need to reach out to four or five different brokers to get four or five different quotes. 
Um, and that's not the case, right? Because we have access to all these markets, we can provide all those different quote options, provide what the pros and cons are, do a coverage analysis, um, and then ultimately allow the business to make the best decision. Do they want the insurance company that's a little bit more expensive, but has much more robust coverage? Or, you know, are they keeping things lean right now and they just want something to, to check a box, right? I think it's important for us to educate on the pros and cons. And we obviously always push coverage first because, you know, that's that's our fiduciary duty to our clients. But we also understand that you're operating a business and you have a ton of more expenses. So we want to be able to provide a lot of different options on the spectrum um, and then empower the business to make the best decision at that time. Um, but year over year, we're looking at getting a lot of competitive bids. And then at the end saying, hey, incumbent carrier who wrote the business last year, we received you know, these different options. Is this something that you're going to be able to compete on or are we going to be moving the business? Um, and it's a way that we can balance that relationship with the carrier, right? Because it's a hard job for us because we have to dictate and balance our carrier relationships. But also at the end of the day, our first and primary concern is our clients, right? Um, but at the same time, if we're constantly moving business and not doing the right thing on the carrier side, we're not going to be able to provide the best solutions for our clients. So it's definitely a, a delicate dance. Um, and and going back to the the four or five brokers, I think a big thing that a lot of you know insureds that may have not purchased insurance previously is like you're only allowed one broker for one carrier. So what that means is like if you reach out to Alpha Root, we send a submission to CanGen. And then that operator says, you know what, I want to get, you know, three or four other quotes from three or four other brokerages. It's a pretty limited space, right? And so what I would say is, is like the best way to go about it is to do interviews, see who you trust based off of their capabilities, their servicing, either allow one or two which carriers that they're going to, because, you know, if, if you know, Day's uh, dispensary comes to us, and you reach out for a quote, we go to CanGen, you send an application to another broker, they reach out to CanGen, they're going to say, sorry, other broker, we're already working with AlphaRoot on this. In order for you to gain access, you'll need what's called a broker record letter. And what that does is that basically takes the access away from AlphaRoot and gives it to that other broker. I don't think that's, that's oftentimes explained a lot. Like it is a very powerful letter that's signed. You're basically saying, hey, I want to go with you here, right? So that's what we always think is like, again, education, transparency, um, and service are just like the three biggest pillars that we really pride ourselves on. Um, and then allowing the, the the operators to make the best decision for their business. And, you know, we'd like to think based off of our service, our expertise in the space, you know, we'd like to hope that we're that solution. But at the end of the day, um, I just can't stress that enough to, to really vet brokers, decide who you want to work with truthfully before the quoting process starts. Because then what you're going to happen is you're going to have a lot of brokers calling you and being like, hey, I'm blocked here. Like, what's going on? And there's just a lot of, and then you're confused. And at the end of the day, CanGen's getting submission from like two or three brokers. So they're kind of frustrated because that's not showing commitment on their side. And at the end of the day, all that does is hurt the operator's image in the insurance marketplace. And so, and and that and that's just the truth. And we try to just provide that education and transparency. Um, 
And if they want to work with us, great. If they have somebody local that they've been working with the years and, you know, they have that trust and relationship, you know, I, I can respect that. But we, we really try to just provide that education and transparency um, to, to prospects. Yeah, so it, it seems like really the, the name of the game in terms of being an insurance broker, whether cannabis or not, is about getting your brand recognition out there, you know, being uh, everywhere so folks can at least give you a chance. And then if you submit first with an alpha route, you guys are already in there versus any of the other competitors. So it seems like content and a lot of the stuff you guys are doing are, are more important than others probably realize. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like the the frustrating things at times is it it could be like first in has the advantage, not necessarily the best in. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, um, totally. And, and so sucks, like, but, yeah, yeah. So so you know, if we're reached out to first and we're able to go to market, that's great. We have you know a competitive advantage. Your site provides a ton of information. Um, I know exactly what you're talking about in terms of partnerships. You guys have Blaze, Dama, C15 Solutions, Work, and I know you're adding more. Um, so certainly keep up the good work and, you know, keep getting the brand out there. Appreciate the time, Eric. Yeah, I appreciate it day. And, and like I said, thank you so much for having me. This has been awesome. Keep doing what you're doing. Cause like the highly objective, like that post that you put out honestly is like the most informative content really out there and gives a great snapshot of what's going on in the industry, transactions, capital raises, um, you know, state legislation. So we really appreciate everything that you're doing.